Genesis chapter 13, Genesis chapter 13, I um, began this series uh, last uh, week, of course, and it just seemed that uh, Brother Grimaldi was uh, determined to go there, and uh, I just, uh, I wondered why he had called me earlier in the week, and so I uh, gave him some notes and things, and I was just... I didn't realize he was going to use it at the meeting, and I'd already preached a lot of it. So at any rate, all right, so nonetheless, chapter 13 of Genesis, of course, none of that's true. But anyway, he did preach that out of that passage, and we began last week out of there as well. But Genesis chapter 13, there were some, definitely some uh, real crossover, and you've got to believe, uh, I mean, honestly, I thought about this uh, message as I was... Uh, thinking about the family conference, and I thought, well, this is going to be a good message for the family conference, and, and so, uh, you know, there's going to be a little crossover again, I promise you that. But uh, anyway, Genesis chapter 13, verse 5, I want to begin in verse 5, I don't want to start at verse 1 this time, let's just get right into it, verse 5, and Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great. So that they could not dwell together. There was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle, Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. 
And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. They separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Father, bless us now as we take a few moments uh, to just consider your word and to consider this topic of how to make a decision. Lord, we're going to have to make decisions in life. We better figure out how to do it and get a good handle on it. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to make good decisions. Lord, the best decisions are made as we truly uh, consider the Word of God. Now, Lord, we need you tonight. Pray you'd fill me with your Holy Ghost. Bless us. We pray that you would just be with every ear, listening ear, and may you anoint it as well. Oh, Father, give to me what you'd have me to share. I love you, and I thank you for the privilege it is to proclaim your truth. Lord, I have nothing to give except you give it to me first. Well, thank you and praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. And so we looked at this passage last week and considered it uh, much more at, in detail than we will even consider it tonight of, by any stretch of the imagination. But we noted that choices are, inherently, uh, are, are inherent in life, that making decisions cannot be avoided. And we, we talked about Lot a little bit. We said, well, what should Lot have done? And we said, well, he should, he should have deferred the decision to Abram, uh, that he should have insisted that Abraham make the decision. I mean, he was his uncle, and we said he was his elder, and uh, one could argue he was his better, of course. But we also said Lot should have showed Abraham some due honor and respect. And so we recognize the fact that probably Lot should have said, hey, you know what, Abraham, it's up to you. Why don't you make the decision? Why don't you make the choice? And then we said that Lot should have showed Abraham, uh, excuse me, we said that Lot should have prayed and, and pondered the situation a little bit more. And um, he was very ambitious, obviously. I mean, I'm sure he wanted to be successful, and who wouldn't want to be if you're going to invest your time and your energy into a business or some kind of venture? Why not be successful at it? be ridiculous not to want to be successful, not to want to prosper, and not to want to benefit from the effort that you put forth. Uh, and so I, I have no problem with probably his drive, but unfortunately he lost sight of probably what was most important. And it seems that he ultimately did put his family in jeopardy. And we see that pretty glaringly in the scriptures. But he made a hasty decision, it seems. It seems he should have pondered it a little longer. He should have given some more consideration. And uh, we noted Joshua chapter 9, verse 14, when we talked about the Gibeonites and how uh, that the people of Israel, along with the leadership, failed to go to the Lord. They failed to ask counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Instead of simply, instead of going to God and saying, what do you think, God? They looked at their circumstances and the, sitting, the setting around them, and they said, well, everything looks like it's in order. Everything seems like it's perfectly fine. Let's go ahead and take those steps. Well, Unfortunately, they made a bad decision, and uh, we said that no decision is complete or correct without God's stamp of approval. And so choices, as we said, are inherent in life, and you can't avoid them. So what are some things we need to do before making a decision? And so that's what we want to discuss, 
And all last week was all introduction. And so I want to get into this idea, this thought today. What are some things we need to do before making a decision? And so tonight I want to focus on this thought. We need to recognize the potential dangers. We're going to have to make decisions. We better recognize and consider the potential dangers. Now, I think, what potential danger did Lot and his, uh, uh, excuse me, did Lot and his family face due to pitching their tent towards Sodom? You know, they pitched their tent towards Sodom. What kind, of, what kind of problems did that present? What kind of potential danger did that place him, his family in? Well, we noticed in Genesis chapter 13, verse 12, it said, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Okay, so let me just say, give some thought to the kind of environment you will expose your family, uh, yourself and your family to. Okay, when we start thinking about making decisions, and again, I told you there's crossover. I mean, he stole my message, okay? But anyway, give some thought to the kind of environment you'll expose your fa- your, yourself and your family to. And we can't hear this enough. I'm telling you, we can't. You know, we can't help but think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They lived, literally, were placed into a perfect environment. And still, when they were tempted, what happened? They fell. How much more do we need to proceed with caution then when it comes to the environment we expose ourselves and our families to? If Adam and Eve had a problem in a perfect environment, how much more will we have problems in the imperfect one we dwell in? Take your Bible, turn over to the book of Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Here in Psalm chapter 1, of course, uh, really a familiar passage, but I think just a a really good passage when we're addressing and dealing with these issues. But um, in Psalm chapter 1, we're going to see the blessed man. Now, when the word blessed is used, uh, many say that it can be substituted with the word happy. And, and I, I really don't have a problem with that. It doesn't seem to mess things up too awfully much. But in a very simple form, it can be used as happy. And so, uh, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to look at this happy man. Because isn't that really what we're seeking? We want to be happy. You know, every, everybody in the room, I'm sure, wants to be happy versus being sad. You know, uh, and, and I get it. Well, the Bible approaches it. It deals, deals with it. Notice what it says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that bringeth forth his fruit in the season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, I want you to notice uh, in in the passage, it's pretty clear. He goes on to say, Blessed or happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. I want to focus right there for just a moment. But in the passage, we're introduced to the godly man's path. We're seeing the direction that he's going to go. He is separated from the world in chapter 1, verse 1. That's what we see. He walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Happy is the man, he says, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands not in the way of sinners. Well, there you go. It's pretty clear, right? He, I mean, notice this. Who stands not. No, again, walks not, stands not, sits not in the seat of the scornful. Modern psychology tells us to emphasize the positive. 
God begins by emphasizing the negative. At least in this passage. Notice it again. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands not in the way of sinners, who sits not in the seat of the scornful. The happy man is, is kind of, he's marked by the things he does not do. The places he does not go. The books he does not read. The movies he does not watch. The company he does not keep. That's a strange way to begin, it seems like to me. God begins this book not with the power of positive thinking, but with the power of negative thinking. In other words, a man who would be happy or a happy man has to begin by avoiding certain things in life. Things which make it impossible for happiness to flourish because they're destructive, they're poisonous, they're counterproductive, if you will. So God's saying in the passage right off the bat, listen, uh, I'm going to start off in a kind of a negative way telling you what you need to not expose yourself to in order to be a happy person. You are not going to be happy any other way. If you want to be happy, then walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Stand not in the way of sinners and sit not in the seat of the scornful. Notice, walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't listen to the ungodly. Why doesn't he do that? Because the, the ungodly view the world differently than the man who views God consistently. Look at Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. We'll go back to, to, to the passage in a moment. But look at Isaiah 5, verse 20. These are your memory verses. These are part of our memory verses. Chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. I'm going to read them because I have not nailed these down yet. <laughs> Just... Look what it says. I, I still get them a, a little bit mixed up. Isaiah 5, verse 20 and 21. Woe unto him, to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Now again, notice this. The ungodly man sees things differently then than the the, the man who sees God consistently then. You get your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ consistently, you're going to see things differently than the man or woman who doesn't. And in this case, they call good evil and evil good. Well, wait a second. If you want to be a happy person, then you're going to have to be very careful not to listen to the ungodly because they see things completely different than God does or how you do if you're following the Lord. So as we go back, he says, not only walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, but in Psalm chapter 1, he goes on to say, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being friendly with lost men, lost women. That's fine. That's obvious. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus was, he was friendly with those people that were sinners, no doubt about it. Matter of fact, he made friends with all kinds of people. And, you know, he was actually a friend of sinners, the Bible called him. But he did that in order to lead them to a higher, holier way of life. His goal was not to simply have a friend. His goal was to be friend in order to lead them to a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. 
That was the real goal, if you will. So the verse teaches that we're not to stand in the way of sinners. We're not to participate in their sinful activities. You want to be happy, do not participate in sinful activities with the sinners. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not going to lead anywhere good. And then he goes on and says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So the ungodly person, he has his counsel. The sinner has his way. The scornful has his seat. That's what the Bible teaches us. I want you to note the progression of wickedness here. The un- Notice again, here it is, the ungodly, the sinner, the scornful. But then also note the progression that is seen in backsliding, the pl- backsliding progression here. There's walking, then there's standing, then there's what? Sitting. You see the progression. So as the company gets worse, sin increases. It increases its hold on us. Its clutches on us. I'll be honest with you. I would much rather try to hold you down if you're in a chair than hold you down if you're standing. And let me tell you something. It's a lot harder to hold you when you're running. But I'll tell you what. As sin, as, as we allow this progression of wickedness to settle into our lives, the, 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 the backsliding also kind of sets in, goes from walking, standing, sitting, and I'll tell you, as the sin gets worse, its hold increases. So that happy person avoids the seat of the scornful. They avoid the classroom where the atheist stands and proclaims his humanism and enjoys shredding the faith. He avoids those who would teach contrary to Scripture and who hold the secular viewpoints. He'll not expose himself to anti-God rhetoric or permit the worldly philosopher to invade his space or gain access to his mind and let it happen. We have here a progression and it's something we have to be very careful. And before we make decisions, we need to be very, very careful to ensure that we're not placing ourselves or our families in an environment that will expose us to sin and ultimately suffering. And then we see here, consider the kind of people you and yours will come into contact with. It's important, again, we're recognizing potential danger. I'm going to make a decision, and you have to make decisions in life, but wait a second, before you make that decision, you need to... Give some thought as to the kind of environment you're going to expose yourself and family to. You need to consider the kind of people you and your family will come into contact with. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 33, the Bible says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupts good manners. What's it saying? You get around evil ways, evil activities, evil behavior, It's going to rub off. Don't be deceived. Don't think you're the one that's going to prove him wrong, prove God wrong on this one. You know, I'm the one that's going to be able to hang out with people that are listening to the wrong music and going to the wrong places and doing the wrong things and focusing on the wrong people in life and allowing myself to do the wrong things, but I'll be the one that will escape the consequence. It won't take me down. 
He says, don't be deceived. Be not deceived. Because if you're thinking that way, you are already deceived. Evil communications corrupts good manners. It's going to wreck and ruin the good. The bad always seems to win out. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. That's pretty clear. Consider the kind of people you and your family will come into contact with when you make decisions. That's why you say, well, preacher, we're going to move to another state. I've got a job offer. I'm going to tell you right now, until you find a church, there is no job worth moving to. No job worth moving to. Well, we'll make twice as much as we make here. I don't care. I'd rather live in a stinking box in the backyard of my parents' house than go somewhere and not have a local church where God called me to. Oh, but that's all right. You don't believe that way. Oh, okay. Go ahead and place your family pointing towards Sodom. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. You're getting a little angry there, preacher. No, I'm passionate about it. I watch families fall apart all the time. I tell you what, you start pointing in the wrong direction, you're going in the wrong direction before long. And I'll tell you, you better understand something right now. God didn't ordain your job, but he did ordain the local church. Preacher, you're the best. We love you. You shoot straight. Thank you. I feel good now. Consider the kind of people you and yours will come into contact with. And finally, consider the potential for corruption and the possibility of growing callous towards sin. Now listen, here, listen closely now. We already said, recognize the potential danger. That's something we all need to do before we make decisions. We must do this. We must. Give some thought to the kind of environment you'll expose you and your, you and your family to. Consider the kind of people you and yours will come into contact with. And then consider the potential for corruption and the possibility of growing callous towards sin. It's not always that you're going to rush right into sin. But what if you develop a coldness toward it, a callousness toward it? Before long, you'll be involved in it. See, the more we expose ourselves to sin, the less likely we are to feel conviction and the need for purity and holiness in our lives. What does God call us to? He says, be ye holy for I am what? Holy. When's the last time you thought about how holy am I? I'm not talking about how holy you think I am. No, how holy do you see yourself? And, 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 and try to evaluate yourself subjectively. I mean, really, look at yourself from the outside in. Don't look at who you believe yourself to be or how holy you think yourself to be when you just view it from the inside, but actually consider what does it look like to others on the outside. Maybe even ask your wife sometime, how holy do you think I really am? Husband, how holy do you think I am? Do you consider me a holy man of God? Do you consider me a holy woman of God? I mean, when's the last time? I mean, is that even important to us in Christianity today? It's important to God, we know. But the reality is, is that we're quite comfortable not dealing with it because it's uncomfortable to deal with it. So the more we expose ourselves to sin or the more we, the closer we get to sin, 
just like heat. I mean, I have a, a heater uh, in, in my, my office, and, uh, you know, every once in a while, I flip that heater on, and I'll, every once in a while, just every once in a while, I start thinking, oh, my, my leg's burning. Why? Because that heat got too close to my leg. Now, it didn't leave a big welt to start with. It didn't burn it completely, but I'm like, oh, wow, that's hot. And I moved that heater back. You get close enough to sin, it will affect you. It may not scar you yet, but it will affect you. And that's what we got to be careful. And this can be deadly in our lives, and, and it can be deadly in the lives of our families. We, are to be, we can become desensitized to sin due to the constant exposure of it. For example, let me just ask, why do so many enjoy movies and programs that glorify illicit sex, witchcraft, the occult, extreme violence, vampires, child sacrifice? You say, oh, I would never do that. You better be careful with some of the stuff that your kids are watching and some of the things that you may be watching and you're not thinking about it. You've been desensitized. I've been desensitized. There, there's, there are Christians that don't think there's anything wrong. There was all these series about all these vampires a few years back, you know? Books that people were reading, and Christians were gobbling it up. You know, Christians are reading Harry Potter and all this stupidity. I mean, they're all into all this stuff. How is it that Christians can read that trash when it's about everything that God says is an abomination? God calls it abomination. We call it entertainment. I mean, we can, we can fix our... We can, why do we find ourselves glued to a screen playing video games for hour on end that often promote anti-God themes or depict lewd behavior or immodest attire? How does that happen? I believe it's because we get desensitized. See, because, again, what God calls an abomination is entertainment. We, we have so little time for prayer and devotion, but we got plenty of time for entertainment. In 2021, Barna conducted a study on how often professing Christians open their Bible throughout the year. That's professing Christians, okay? People that claim to be Christian, whether they're, you know, biblical Christian or not. I mean, let's face it, there are people that claim to be Christian that aren't even saved. But in this study, the only, it was just professing Christians. The majority reported never picking it up. Not only that, but only 25% of self-identified Christians were actively practicing their faith. Just 20 years ago, it was 45%. Think about that. Only 25% of self-identified Christians were actively practicing their faith now versus 20 years ago when 45% were. When we're exposed to evil or sin on a regular basis, there can be no doubt that it's going to affect us in a negative way. We will become desensitized to sin. What once would have appalled us, now we accept. And we see that taking place in the media and on, on social, uh, social media and in our television sets. and everything. What do they do? They feed us all of this stuff constantly, 
until finally we are okay with it, at least watching it. We invite it in our homes. We receive it gladly. I mean, I, 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 I've often said, I do not like to watch football games where there's commercials. Why? I, I just don't like the commercials. I do love football, but I don't like the commercials. I mean, it seemed like about every other one's got alcohol in it. And if you came to my house come Sunday or, or Saturday during college football and I was watching a game and you showed up with a 12-pack of beer and said, hey, preacher, I just stopped by to visit with you. I'd be like, well, dude, what's that all about? Oh, no big deal. I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to set it in your house. I'd be like, you ain't bringing that in my house. We don't touch the unclean thing around here. Keep it out of here. But we invite it in all the time. I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I know. I, I'm telling you, if we're not careful, though, we become more desensitized to it. When it's not bothering us, then there's a really problem. When we find ourselves not going, I can't watch that. That's a problem. A big problem. Just like the preacher said the other day. You know, we'll sit and watch a show and there's cussing going on all over it. Or even in it, and it's, it's like, you know, I still remember with my kids, it's like, oh, there's one. Whoop, there's two. And I'll be honest with you, three strikes, you're out. That's how, you know, it's kind of the mentality. That's a good mentality, I think. And you say, well, what are you watching? Well, you don't need to watch it. I saw a Disney show being promoted, and it's all about kids, and they were talking about, and they said it's rated PG. And I thought, why would a show that's directed toward children that honestly wants children to watch and their parents to support it be rated PG? It's got to have something to do with money. So what did they have to do to get it to be PG? There has to be something in it that, 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 that causes it to become PG. You don't get to rate your own show. You don't just get to say, I want this to be an R-rated so I have more people show up at it. Because more people like going to R-rated movies than they do like going to PGs. Why do you think they call things PG-13? They have to put certain things in it because some people just don't want to go see shows that are actually clean. Put a G on a film and you won't get anybody there hardly. I mean, that's a reality of life in a world we live in today. And the movie industry understands all that. What's happening to us as Christians? We're being desensitized. People say, well, I, I'm, I'm good. I, I, watch, don't, I won't watch anything more than a PG-13. I'm just going to say, have you, you really watching PG-13s? Are you? Because I struggle to watch a lot of PGs. I'm just saying, what, what is the defining factor? What decides whether a movie is proper or not? Can I tell you that what you decide is proper or not may have something to do with how exposed you've been to sin through these last years, and it may be that you've become desensitized to some things that other Christians are very sensitive to. And you're thinking, everybody's like me. Everybody watches this. Everybody sees that. Everybody has to, you know, go through that. I, it's, there's not that much. It's not that new. There's not much nudity in it. Desensitize the sin. That we just have to be aware of these things. And I'm just saying, when, before we make decisions, you better think about those issues. Consider the potential for corruption and the possibility of growing callous towards sin. 
Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin's going to deceive you. It's not that bad now. You know, it's funny, isn't it? It, the younger the younger crowd you know they what do they they always view the older people as being what old fuddy duddies isn't that funny how they do that oh that's see you have that standard in your life because that's how it used to be that's the old way we, we got a new way was well, it a biblical way here's what we got to start asking ourselves not is it okay in our own eyes? See, according to, uh, uh, you know, you go to the end of Judges, every man did that which was right in his own eyes because there was no what? King in the land. Who's the king in your life? That'll determine what is right and wrong in your eyes. If God is the king, then all of a sudden his standard becomes your standard. And can I tell you that it makes it a little bit more difficult to watch a lot of things when God's standard is our standard. It's hard to listen to a lot of things in the world when his standards are standard. It's hard to, 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 to do a lot of the things in the, when his standards are standard. That's all I'm saying. You think about it, you pray about it, and you dig into the word and you figure this out because ultimately you have to make the decisions that affect your family. I don't make those for you. You make those for you. And in the long run, you run the risk becoming callous towards sin. But hold on. We often say what the parents do in moderation, the children do in excess. Be very careful with this. If you think you're desensitized at all, they are completely gone. I'm going to tell you that right now. If pretty soon you don't have a problem seeing transgender men swim the long, you know, well, okay. You don't have a problem seeing two gay people in programs getting along really in close, you know. And it's obvious they're together. And that doesn't bother you. Your children are being told it's okay. I promise you, that's what's... You're, whether you understand this or not, you are putting a stamp of approval on everything you're allowing them to watch and saying, this is right. Be careful. I'm just telling you, be careful because your family is more important than just a simple evening of entertainment. Hey, we're giving evidence of this, and I don't have time to go into it. We have a baptism, and so I want to get started on that. But Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 20, 32, you read it sometime. Talk about this progression of sin and how it starts one, one at this point and ends up at this point. Romans chapter 1 shows us. In the end, it says, Who knowing the judgment of God that they cannot, which they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, not only do they do the same, but they have pleasure in them that do them. Wow. I mean, it goes, it goes from when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. What he's saying is basically this. When they knew what the truth was, they knew where the truth could be found. They just, and they, they knew who God was. They just said, you know what? We prefer to do things our own way. And it all led to a place where finally, not only did they do the same things that deserve death, but they had pleasure in them that do them. Now they're supporting them. They're angry at you when you say something against their idol. 
their hero that's worldly and sinful and on the wrong path. Okay, so anyway, that's just, that's what we have. So how to make a decision, the first thing tonight, just very quickly, we said, recognize the potential dangers. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for just some time we had to just kind of just kind of go through the Word of God a little bit, look at a few verses, and consider this simple thought. Because, Lord, we all have to make these decisions. We all have to be very careful to protect ourselves first and then our families. And, Lord, if maybe we don't have children living at home, but we still got to protect ourselves. It'd be very prideful and we'd be very arrogant to think that we can dismiss the Word of God and somehow we're the exception to the rule. Lord, be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Lord, we know your word's true, and that's true for us too. No matter how old we are, no matter how experienced we believe ourselves to be, we need to be very cautious that we're not pointing towards Sodom. Lord, help us, we pray. Don't help, help us not to pitch our tents towards Sodom. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand. Every